This is Remixing, the Ithacan's music analysis and criticism podcast where guests curate a playlist of 8 to 10 songs that represents who they are. I'm your host, Arlie Rogers. In the first episode this semester, I'll be speaking with sophomore Eva Salzman. Her playlist, called Point A to Point B, is inspired by music she grew up listening to and has influenced her decision to audition into the sound recording technology major. How are you doing today, Eva? I'm good. Busy, but good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I feel that. So yeah, let's just start off. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, this playlist, and the music that you like in general? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a sophomore health sciences major as of right now. Um, But kind of over quarantine, I decided that I didn't really like my major that much. And I wanted to switch into something that was kind of more uh, geared to my interests and not just something I found interesting, if that makes sense. Um, So I was looking through different like majors that kind of involved music production or studying music in some way. And I decided that I wanted to audition into the sound recording technology major, um, which is definitely a lot different than health sciences, but I decided to kind of just go for it. Um, So this playlist is um, just a bunch of songs that I grew up listening to because um, my interest in music definitely um, comes mostly from my parents. Um, My dad was a musician and was always playing music throughout the house on his CD player and, um, on guitar and stuff like that. Um, and then I have a couple songs in there that kind of influenced my interest in music production in general. And those are more modern. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And also we should mention you're a staff writer for the life and culture section and a pop culture columnist, which is the life and culture sections, uh, pop culture weekly column. So I think we should probably go over the songs that we're that we're going to be talking about today. We're starting off with Layla by Eric Clapton, I Shot the Sheriff by Eric Clapton, Gold Dust Woman by Fleetwood Mac, The Chain by Fleetwood Mac, Friend of the Devil by The Grateful Dead, It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing by Ella Fitzgerald, Bell Bottom Blues by Eric Clapton, Sweet Home Chicago by Robert Johnson, Pyramids by Frank Ocean, and Nights by Frank Ocean. So yeah, while we were meeting before to talk about this podcast, we chatted a little bit about how you just like to make playlists in general, really get into them and curate something special. So um, what was going through your mind while you were making this playlist? Like if you were trying to create any feelings or ideas? Um, I kind of, I didn't do anything in any specific order other than the last two songs, which are the um, more modern ones. Um, but the first um, eight are all just songs that I grew up listening to. The first one, I guess, I didn't plan this, but it's Layla by Eric Clapton. Um, I was almost I was almost named after this song. Really? So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's my sweet. Parents, my parents kind of disagreed. My dad didn't like the name. My mom really wanted it. So I got my name, but almost named after this one. So it kind of feels fitting that it's first, but the rest of it is kind of... Uh, not planned at all. <laughs> um, yeah, they're just, I grew up listening to a lot of, my mom really liked um, Eric Clapton, the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac. Um, so there's some Fleetwood Mac songs on here, some Eric Clapton songs that I just always listened to. My mom had the Rumors CD and would always play it in the car. Um, so yeah, always was always listening to that stuff. And my dad, um, as a guitar player, he really liked to play Robert Johnson. So I grew up listening to him play that on the guitar. 
And he loved the Grateful Dead, always had CDs playing of the Grateful Dead. Um, there is kind of one outlier, and it's Ella Fitzgerald's song. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Um, my dad had a really large collection of CDs, um, and my favorite CD, I got to pick the music we listened to at dinner. And my favorite CD to listen to was the Ella Fitzgerald CD that the song was off of. And it was my favorite song to listen to during dinner for some reason. Um, so I heard that a lot growing up. Did, were you thinking of putting these songs in any particular any particular order while you were uh, making the playlist? Um, as for the first eight, not really. Um, I was kind of just, they were kind of just like coming to me and I was thinking of them. Um and just adding them to the playlist. But the last two songs I did put at the end because they are way ahead in the timeline. So let's go Let's go straight into Layla. Eric Clapton is from Ripley, Surrey, England. He is considered one of the most respected and talented guitarists of all time. In 2015, the Rolling Stones ranked him as the second greatest guitarist of all time, just behind Jimi Hendrix, which no surprise there. Um, and in that Rolling Stones article, all of the musicians had a little paragraph about them. And Eddie Van Halen of the band Van Halen uh, wrote this about uh, Clapton. The basics, the blues, his solos were melodic and memorable. That's what guitar solos should be, part of the song. I could hum them to you. And that quote actually kind of stuck with me for the rest of this playlist because... I had never, to be honest, I had never really thought about music in that way before, that a guitar solo isn't necessarily separate from the music. It's not a pause before we return back to the lyrics or, or to the vocalist. It's part of the song. And as he said, I could hum them to you like in the way that you could you could hum the tune of a song. What do you think about that? Um, this song definitely... Um it's one of my favorite guitar solos. It features one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. Um, and I think that that's definitely true. Like it is part of the music and it's not, it's not necessarily like a separate um, thing or like a pause or a stall. It's, it's part of the, the tune. It's part of the melody. Um, and it's a very important part of what Eric Clapton's music contains normally, like very iconic guitar solos and guitar riffs, stuff like that. And this song originally appeared on Layla and other assorted love songs from 1970, but on Spotify, it's on Eric Clapton's Rainbow Concert, which um, the song that Eva added uh, has this live component to it where there's someone who introduces the band and they come on and it's like, you know, that iconic beginning. And that album itself was originally regarded as a commercial failure, which I find so ironic because now, I believe it's considered like one of his best albums, one of the best albums of all time. Um, and just to further solidify that, he is an 18 time Grammy Award winner, um, as well as a triple inductee of the Rock and Roll, Roll Hall of Fame, um, because he was inducted as a solo artist. But then before that, when he was part of the bands, the Yardbirds and Cream, and I believe he is the only triple inductee. Um so props to him. Let's move straight along. Um, so I Shot the Sheriff by Eric Clapton is a cover of Bob Marley's song of the same name. This is one of his popular singles. Um, his album from 1974, 461 Ocean Boulevard, is 
or was, I guess, kind of marked as the commercial, the start of his commercial success as a solo artist. Um, you know, the start of an incredible solo career. Before that, he was in bands that were successful but never really panned out. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about this song, Eva. Why'd you choose it? I remember growing up um, listening to this song. It's one of my mom's favorites by Eric Clapton, and I just always heard it. Um, playing in the house and I didn't know the actual lyrics like at the time I thought they were something different like just hearing them I couldn't really understand um and that's probably a good thing um <laughs> but um yeah um a couple years ago I was like looking through my mom's old like CDs and stuff and I and I found um and I was like playing them and stuff and I, and I played this song and I was like wow I did not realize what this song is actually about <laughs> Yeah, I've always just I've always just kind of liked the tune of it and how it went. The lyrics didn't matter to me at the time, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and I'm not like super familiar with Bob Marley's or um, Eric Clapton's music, you know, like on the level that a fan might be, for example. But um, I do like how almost similar this cover is to Bob Marley's, if that makes sense. Like I know, you know, Bob Marley has his own very distinct sound, but I think. Uh, I think this song as well, like you can definitely hear that this has an Eric Clapton influence. Um, but I do like the similarities. I think it feels like a, a revamped version of it rather than like a, an exact cover or a total um, change from the original. Yeah, definitely. All right. And now we're going to go to Fleetwood Mac, which I had so much fun actually learning the timeline of how rumors was created because it's one of those albums that everyone i feel like everyone kind of knows that there's this it's it is rooted in turmoil and oh, the yeah. issues of the band but um and you know as a result all these amazing songs like gold dust woman and the chain came out of it um but the five members essentially the five members of the band lindsey buckingham Mick Fleetwood, the iconic Stevie Nicks, uh, Christine McVie and John McVie um, were under pressure to produce like another great album after their self-titled album. Um, that one included Landslide and Rhiannon. Um, and, you know, they got what was expected of them because what they produced was rumors. But along the way, <laughs> they essentially... Uh, went through a bunch of relationship issues within the band um, among like Christine and John at the point that they were recording the album were at the brink of divorce. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks were breaking up and then Stevie Nicks and Mick Fleetwood had an, a brief affair. Um, and Nick said in an interview there referring to the stories uh, of the songs of each relationship are all there and very honest and people will know exactly what I'm talking about. People really enjoy listening to what happened since the last album. Um, and I just love that idea so much because I think a lot of artists can make their career essentially around the stories that they create in their albums and what makes them feel so real is that it's actually about their life and I think this is like the perfect album for that yeah, kind of thinking definitely. definitely yeah um listening to these songs like growing up I obviously did not know everything surrounding it but um as I learned more about the band and all of the turmoil 
that kind of came with um, rumors. Um, I found it way more interesting. I liked it way more. Um, I, I listened to the lyrics more and I realized like, wow, the, like Stevie Nicks is singing about like this issue right now. Like, and it was very, it's very direct. It's very honest. Like I, I really like that. And it's very interesting because you know exactly what's going on. And like the lyrics all, they're all very, um, direct, <laughs> um, as to the issues that are happening. So then we move on to the chain, um, which is this anthem of betrayal and therefore the anthem of the album, in my opinion. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I, de- I, I agree with that. It's, it's, um, it's my favorite song off the album um, because it's, it has this energy that um, is, it's like angry and upset and it's very direct. You can hear exactly um, where it's going and, and what it means. And I really like that about it, yeah. It feels very, it feels almost like evil magic, the way that it kind of comes together. Um, and uh, another Rolling Stones um, article uh, of ranked things, Rumors was ranked 26 out of 100 for best albums of all time, which I think is pretty good. Um, and in the blurb or the little paragraph, it says, in Rumors, Fleetwood Mac turned private turmoil into gleaming melodic public art. And I love that quote a lot. Um, I think uh, beyond it fully encapsulating Rumors, I think it also, like I was saying before, kind of encapsulates a lot of uh, artists now who who like pour their life into their music. Um, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan, as we've talked about before, and I think she is, to some people, to a fault, but not in my eyes, um, has created her career around her uh, music that deals with her life, and I think she does it in an, like an excellent way. Um, as, as does Fleetwood Mac. It's interesting because like, um, at the time they were, they were creating rumors. They were, it was this like critical moment where they were under a lot of pressure as a band to, to make this album that, that, um, matched up to how good their last one was. And at the same time, they have all these, um, inter band, um, controversies and, and problems. And that sort of pressure and stress could, make or break the album basically and and they took it and and used it um to their to their advantage i guess and and made like this amazing groundbreaking album i think they it's so clear that um they poured like all of these personal feelings into the into the lyrics and that you know probably for a certain part a certain portion of the recording process, like they were re- they were singing about the people who were right in front of them. Um, but this quote from Christine, it, it, it gets straight to the heart of it. Like the album is ruthlessly clear eyed about the crisis instead of soothing it over. Um, and if they were to make music that just kind of glossed over what, what their band was going through um, instead of facing it head on, it might not have been as strong potentially. Um, so do you have any, like, childhood connection to this song? So my mom owned the Rumors CD, and she would always play it in the car whenever we were going anywhere. I didn't really have a choice as to what was on the radio. Um, 
but I'm kind of glad because <laughs> I grew up listening to this amazing music that I still love so much and has influenced me um, a lot, clearly. <laughs> but um, I did, yeah, I just, I just was, I grew up listening to it, and I, and I know that my mom really liked Fleetwood Mac, and it feels like um, sort of something special, like a special connection, like bonding kind of thing that that I'm interested in the same music that she kind of raised me with (laughs) but yeah cool so let's move on to friend of the devil which is um from the 1970 album american beauty the grateful dead is known for their rock and psychedelic sound but i think friend of the devil kind of reaches into their more bluegrass influences it's very like heavily guitar focused um and it feels it feels like a nice uh like a, a light uh pause after listening to rumors my dad loves the grateful dead and um a lot of their music kind of reminds me of like summers as a kid he would um always like grill dinner for us and me and my sister would play on the swing set outside in the summertime and it was, yeah it was, it's a really nice childhood memory and stuff and um my dad so my dad loves the band and he also loves a lot of bluegrass music I've been to like a couple like bluegrass um like festivals with him as a kid um and he loves listening to that kind of music so this this song kind of uh, encapsulates both of those um interests that he has um with bluegrass music and one of his favorite bands <laughs> and yeah their their influence with that style of music and stuff like that um so this felt kind of fitting to put on there because it it took two of his uh, musical interests I guess yeah cool um so for the next song uh we've kind of talked a little bit about you know you got to choose some music at dinner and this is one of the songs that you chose um but uh uh Ella Fitzgerald in her lifetime just you know for a little bit of background she won 13 Grammy Awards sold over 40 million albums and worked with other musicians like Duke Ellington Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra um and in 1991 she gave her final concert at Carnegie Hall which was the 26th time that she performed there uh which is pretty incredible I know that it was like it was like the only Ella Fitzgerald song that I can remember that I know but um yeah I would always pick this CD at dinner to listen to and it was my favorite song off the album and the only one I can remember um and um later like many years later when I was in middle school I did I did chorus and we sang the song for one of our middle school chorus concerts so that was kind of fun um not exactly full circle but it did bring it kind of back into my memory I'm pretty sure I also listened to this as a kid my friend Sarah's dad is a musician and uh, I used to live out on Long Island and um, would visit her at the town that I currently live in now. Um, and I, I feel like I have some memory associated with the song, though I don't have anything concrete. And I feel like my mom's going to listen to this podcast and remember <laughs> where I remember it from. But I do remember also her song, A Tisket, A Tasket, like very vividly, um, whether my mom was the first one who played that for me or if I also heard it from uh, Sarah. But... This song, like, everything about it is so seamless. Everything, like, like with Clapton and his guitar solos that just feel ingrained in the song, like, the the largely instrumental part of the song and her scatting is just so excellent. Um, and she has this 
gorgeous and smooth voice. Um, and I love the violin in the song. Again, it feels so seamless. And I, I don't know if, I don't know a lot about jazz and I won't pretend I do because I know there are ins and outs of it that I probably won't be able to understand unless I actually play it. Um, but the violin, I was not expecting that mm-hmm. and I loved it. Yeah. My dad, my dad also really likes jazz music. Um, he would take me to a lot of like local jazz concerts and stuff like that as a kid. So I kind of grew up listening to the style of music also, but, um, this was always just the CD that I liked the most. Um, mainly because of the album cover. Cause as a five-year-old, I didn't really know anything else, but, um, it was funny cause my sister's name, my younger sister's name is Ella. So she would always get excited when I would pick this CD because my dad would tell her, Oh, like you guys have the same name. <laughs> like, was she named after her? Um, I don't think so, but it would be really cool yeah. if she were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been Layla and Ella. That would have been fun. Yeah. So now we're back to Clapton, another song where the guitar solo feels necessary. This is Bell Bottom Blues, which was also on Layla and other assorted songs. Um, yeah, what do we think about this song? This is just one of my mom's favorite songs of all time. I did not like it as a kid. I thought it was really annoying and... I don't know. I just didn't, it it was very slow. Like didn't really like it. Um, but you know, I was, I was listening to Eric Clapton like a couple years ago again. And I was like, Oh, I I, like really like this song. It's, it's very pretty and, and emotional. Um, so I like it. I like it now, obviously, but as a kid, I wasn't a big fan of it because it wasn't as energetic as I probably was as a five year old or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I would say this one is definitely, or definitely feels more emotional mm-hmm. than Layla um, while I was listening to it. Um, yeah, again, it just kind of reminded me of the thing that I had never really thought about in music, that the guitar solo is, is truly just part of the song, um, not, a, not a pause. Um, now we're moving on to Sweet Home Chicago by Robert Johnson. Um who had a very interesting life, I found, like a very sad life. He died when he was 27. He was regarded after his death as this iconic, like near mythic musician because Columbia Records had released a collection of his recordings, King of the Delta Blues, um, in 1961 after his death, Um, which... Not really sure how to feel about that, if those were already in the process or if Columbia Recordings decided to release it after the fact. But he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. And Eric Clapton said about him, I have never found anything more deeply soulful than Robert Johnson, which from Eric Clapton is definitely a compliment. For sure. Um yeah, my dad, he didn't play much of Robert Johnson, like, on, on a CD player or anything. Um, but the other day, I was in my rock style since, like, 1955 class or something like that. And we were learning oh about... Oh, my God, my roommate's in that class. It's a really cool class. I really like yeah, it. Yeah, it seems really cool. Yeah. Um, so we were learning about um, the blues um, to start off with, because that kind of... That had a heavy influence in rock and roll, you know. Um 
and Robert Johnson is one of the most iconic blues artists of all time. Um, and we were playing this song and like analyzing the structure of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, my dad plays a bunch of Robert Johnson stuff on the guitar. And so I called him the next day and I was talking to him about it. He's like, oh yeah, like I'll look up old Robert Johnson songs on YouTube and I'll learn how to play them by ear and stuff. And I was like, very impressed by that. Cause I never knew that he could do that or <laughs> that he did that, but it, it really like learning about it was, was very cool. Cause it brought me back to um, like growing up, like listening to my dad, like playing these like riffs on the guitar um, all the time. Um, but yeah, Robert Johnson um, had a lot of influence on a lot of different artists. I know that um, Led Zeppelin, um, he had a big influence on Led Zeppelin. Um, lyrically I know but um yeah he he is he is pretty iconic (laughs) yeah he kind of has this very eerie sound about him it's stripped down to basically just this song in particular is stripped down to just basically his his vocals and the guitar um yeah it's it's very it is very eerie but it is uh it feels very quintessential blues. Um, so something I probably should have asked earlier, but is your dad a musician by profession or, or out of interest? Well, um, it's, it's gone back and forth throughout his life. Um, he's an engineer, but, um, uh, when I was, when I was like a baby, um, very young, like infant, (laughs) he would, um, he was doing, um, he was playing gigs like full time basically. And, and he's been a part of a bunch of different bands. Um, and, uh, I think he's, he's still in one, but it's kind of been on pause because of coronavirus and he's unable to do like live performances, but before he had like gigs, like a couple times a week and stuff, but he is an engineer, um, full time. That's his profession, but he has kind of gone back and forth with how much he's been involved in, um, playing gigs and stuff like that. But, yeah, I always think that that's, that's so cool, like, that he was able to kind of find a balance between his interests yeah. like that, like, um, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom plays guitar. Um, I don't know how long she's been playing for, actually, but she released, like, an EP a while ago. I, I don't remember the year. Maybe I should know. But, um yeah, she's always been a musician. And I think that's where a lot of these songs or like other songs that are not on this playlist that I have known, but not truly known. Like, you know, those songs where once you hear it, you're, you immediately recognize it, but you don't know the name or, or maybe even the artist. I think a lot of that probably comes from her, maybe a little bit my dad, but, but she, she was a musician. She, she definitely, you know, probably introduced me to things that, or I don't remember the memories exactly, but yeah. Cool. And then, and then your mom, uh, is she a musician at all or just really interested in the music? She's not a musician, but, but she does really love music. Um, they actually met at, um, my parents actually met at, um, one of my dad's gigs and my mom was in the audience. Oh my Um, God. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really cool. I'm like, wow, that's That's kind of a dream. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Yeah. That's so fun. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to, like, think about, but... Cool. Okay, so now we're shifting into the 2012s, rushing ahead a few years here. 
Um, the next two songs are from Frank Ocean, and um, we'll talk about this later, but Nights is one of my favorite songs by him, so I was happy to see this on the list. But uh, the first one is Pyramids. Um, this is from his 2012 album, Channel Orange, though I think it was released as a single beforehand. Um, and I like cannot believe that he only has these two albums plus the mixtape, but whatever. That's a point of contention with like all of his fans and himself. But he has an interesting history just uh, in how he started out. Like he, he was a ghostwriter for Justin Bieber and Beyonce among other pop stars. Um, But then kind of rose to fame when he released Nostalgia Ultra in 2011 and then Channel Orange and Blonde have become iconic since then, essentially. But he signed with Jeff, Def Jam Recordings, which is a pretty big record company, but he would release some of his music on Tumblr when they wouldn't, you know, support him as an artist. Um, and I think Chance the Rapper has also done things like that, where he's released music for free or, or never signed to a label. Um, but for Frank Ocean, that's kind of become his brand in a way. Um so so why did why did you add this to the playlist? Um, so Frank Ocean is my my all time favorite artist. Um, I'm fascinated with his like life story and um, how he how he um, kind of rose to the top and and how he pretty much like lives in secrecy now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think he's super cool and all of his music is so like thematically dense. Um, like you could analyze blonde like the album for hours and not even realize some of the stuff that he includes in the songs um but pyramids is my favorite song of all time by him and i just really like how um um like production wise it's it's very dense and um there are a lot of uh kind of musical easter eggs that he kind of puts in there um the it's like it's almost 10 minutes long and the first half of the song um takes place in ancient egypt um so one of the cool things that he does is he plays the drum beats like backwards like in in reverse so it kind of makes this like funky noise that that sounds like it's going backwards which is cool because like we're going back in time to to learn about uh cleopatra and the first half of the song um and for the, um, like, synth um, chorus, um, the chords and, like, the notes on the staff um, are shaped in a pyramid when you see them, like, out on the staff. It goes, like, up and down, which is really cool. And I'm like, how does one think about that and make it sound so good and, like, add in these little details and little touches that, you know, aren't even – you can't even notice, like, just listening to the song. Um, yeah, so – this song got me really interested in like learning how um, music production works and, and learning about, and like kind of um, analyzing songs that are so um, dense uh, musically. I've said that a lot. No, that's, that's so cool. That definitely um, made me want to analyze music more and kind of made me listen to more um, of the background music than just the lyrics, which is kind of, what is the easiest thing to listen to when you listen to music but yeah I was gonna say that too like 
when you think of analyzing or when I think of analyzing music, I think of the lyrics, I think of the story. Um, and that's probably like some English major part of me, but it is so cool to think about, like you can analyze the sound of a song and that might even be the focus of the song. Like it's not so much about the lyrics, which in pyramids are, they're repeated, but they're not repetitive, if that makes sense. And the song is long. It's like almost 10 minutes, but it never feels monotonous or boring or repetitive. Um, it just fits very, like the, the repeated lyrics fits very well with the feeling of the song. Um, it's both overwhelming, like in a pleasant way and subdued at the same time. Yeah. Which I think also applies to nights. Yeah, definitely. And the thing about Frank Ocean is it not only is the musical aspect of his songs like um, very complex, but he's a great storyteller lyrically and um, especially in Blonde, um, because a lot of those songs were like about his childhood and, and growing up and all these stories he has about like people that he's um, loved and lost and stuff like that. Um, Pyramids is a little bit more abstract compared to those kind of stories but it tells this story about um cleopatra in ancient egypt and then there's a beat switch like halfway through the song and it's about this woman in modern day and it and he refers to her as cleopatra it's it's, it's a very interesting story and he does that very well while simultaneously making such complex music in the background yeah completely agree cool um so for nights um, you talked a little bit about this in your piece for the life and culture section, which essentially, uh, spotlighted a bunch of, uh, pieces from black creators that were not necessarily meant to educate, um, because a lot of the, uh, things that, um, I had been seeing on social media were mostly books, um, documentaries, which while important, um, like creative art can make just as lasting and important an impact on the viewer or the reader or whoever. Um, and Eva talked about, uh, Frank Ocean and you specifically talk about Blonde. And this is, this is a quote from the article. Blonde is an hour long emotional journey split exactly in half by a beat switch and its center song nights. The two halves of the album represent various stages in Ocean's life in the first half of Blonde uh, Ocean expresses feelings of falling in love and exploring his identity, but in the second half of the album, he seems to be distraught and confused by how to move on from past lovers. Um, and again, when we're analyzing like the sound as well as the lyrics, was that what you were thinking about when you were writing that? Um, I mean, I just, I just find the song, it's pretty much the highlight of the album. Um, and the way that the album is structured is, is very interesting and you might not, like people might not realize at first when just listening to it, but it's definitely on purpose. Um, the album is like exactly an hour long nights is right in the middle and right when the beat switch happens, it's like exactly in the middle of the album and the whole album is supposed to represent duality and, um, specifically, um, Frank Ocean's like duality and his sexuality, um, which is really interesting how he can use the structure of an album and like the timing of things to, um, solidify that, that, um, concentration, I guess. Um, like, I don't like, again, how, do, how does one even think about that? <laughs> 
But yeah, so um, this song is like kind of encompasses what Blonde is because of that halfway point and how it switches um, ideas and feelings halfway in between it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can feel that halfway point in the song as well. Like not even, not even just from listening from it. Like you can, you can tell when it goes from something like kind of playful to something a little bit slower and more serious. I just think that um, since to me it kind of it kind of uh, symbolizes the whole album or um, represents the whole album, I guess. Um, I just think that it's. Um, very interesting the way he decided to uh, represent what he was trying to convey, which is the theme of duality. There are so many little, it's just very subtle. And unless you look like closely and like look at the details, you can't really notice just like listening to it. Um, although like the lyrics at some times do directly allude to the, the theme, but um, it's, it's like, most interestingly, like it's conveyed through these like little kind of details. Well, that wraps up point A to point B, a playlist by Eva Salzman. Um, my last question before we head out, though, um, is now that we've kind of talked through this um, and, you know, the influence is that it has had on you and the memories that you associate with these songs. Um, do you see any connections between them that you hadn't seen before? Um, I've always known that, like, my parents' um, music interests have always, um, have had a a pretty big influence on me in terms of my, um, like, preference in in music genre and, um, just interest in music and enjoyment, um, that I get in listening to music, um, but I guess in making this playlist, I realized, like, how much they influenced me because, like eight out of 10 songs are the songs that I like grew up listening to. And then I have these like little stories and memories attached to them. And I guess that they really played an important part in my childhood and my growing up that influences me even today. And like me wanting to switch my major and stuff was kind of, um, I guess encouraged by my parents and encouraged and reinforced in like the way that I grew up because music was such a big part of my life. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess they had a bigger role on that than I thought they did, but cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That was remixing. You can listen to Eva's playlist point A to point B on Spotify linked in the description. I want to thank Ileana, our podcast editor, today's guest, Eva, Stevie Nicks, Eric Clapton, and shout out to Eva's parents who inspired this playlist. You'll hear from me again when I talk to senior writer and pop culture columnist Liam Conway about movie scores on our next episode. You can listen to Remixing on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Music. Follow The Ithacan on Instagram and Twitter at Ithacan Online and like us on Facebook. Thanks to our listeners for being part of this week's mixtape.